You're listening to the Two Bucks Podcast, the podcast for outdoor entrepreneurs. Little by little, I was getting the sense of my time isn't my time. Just kept feeling this pull to the outdoors and wanting to do something in the outdoor space. Welcome back to another Two Bucks Podcast episode. I'm your host, Brian Krebs, and I'm super excited today because I've got someone else from maybe the the backyard or the the hometown, but Matt Waldron from Crappie Chronicles yeah. is here tonight. Um, all of you listeners know we've had Bart on the podcast. We've had Pink on the podcast. I've got three out of my four, my Chronicle Slam. I got one yeah. more eventually, and I feel like he might be the hardest one to pin down. But, uh, yeah, he's pretty <laughs> difficult to pin down. <laughs> Eventually, we'll get Griff on the podcast. Yeah. But how are you doing tonight, Matt? Oh, pretty good. How about you? Pretty good. Uh, how are you guys uh, liking this exceptionally warm winter we're having? It's actually been a huge challenge to work <laughs> around. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's been kind of a pain. <laughs> Not going to lie. It, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, I watched, I've been, I'm pretty up to date, I think, on Chronicles, um, but I actually really liked the episode where you guys, I think you were in southwest of the metro trying to find Ottertail County, you're trying to find some ice, I mean, literally at that point, we're just trying to find ice, and you guys were like, yeah. stopping on the edge of the road, like, one hit goes through, and you're like, nope, <laughs> and you go to the next yeah. lane, nope, and it's like 60 mile an hour winds, and you guys go play cornhole and do a pheasant hunt instead, and I'm like, this was actually like... I've done enough trips to know, like, sometimes, like, that's just what happens. And instead of fishing, yeah. you're just hanging out with the guys, driving around, going to yeah. a cornhole tournament, and you just have a blast, yeah. even though that's not really why you went. But I was like, I like that episode. But Yeah. That's it kind of shows, like, what really happens on some of these trips. Like, you know, we, we, try, to, we try to push the limits with still being safe. And that weekend was definitely pushing the limits on ice. We did end up getting on ice, but it, we were at, um, we were in the lack of area. So okay. we were staying at Watson's hunting camp and they have an awesome building that they rent out for, um, like hunting trips, hunting groups that come out and do pheasant hunts and stuff. So we were there for, I think like three days and we finally got on ice the very last day. It was cold enough, but it was brutal conditions to start early ice. I mean, right after like the St. Paul ice show, it was, I want to say like that first week of December or just before that we had a little bit of a cold snap. So it got all of us excited. And then right after the ice show, it was like 40 degrees. Yeah. And so we were, we knew there was no ice in the Metro and we we're like scratching our heads and we're like, well, let's try lack of power area. Cause they had ice. And so we, we got to the lake and we drove past it it would have been friday morning when we were out scouting and when we drove past lack of Parle, like the whole thing was ice and we were like sweet we're gonna go fish the guy said there was five inches in this back little offshoot of it we'll at least be able to get on ice and then we drove past after checking a bunch of lakes and there was no ice on the lake anymore the wind was ripping so hard it just ate it all up yikes so that's when we played some cornhole <laughs> <laughs> and got our ass 
whooped. It was pretty bad. Yeah, I liked how you guys went into it like, we might have a chance. And then you talk to the first guy, and he's like, yeah, he's a national pro. And you're like, yeah, we don't have a chance. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, no, it, it was it was pretty cool, though, seeing it. And everyone there was super nice. Like, we were worried it was going to be a bunch of locals all pissed off that we're out in their area filming with cameras, which it happens to us every once in a while. Like, there's some people that just – don't like it when people come there with cameras. So, I mean, I get it. Yeah. You know, they like to keep their area, their area and whatnot, but everyone there was super awesome, very inviting. And they're like, yeah, we'll take your money. Come on. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So with this weather, cause I think I know the same time frame. Um, I had a show. I don't know. I don't think it was the St. Paul ice show. Cause that one's really big. And the show we were at was, wasn't that big, but they were um, selling razor ice auger units for 200 bucks and i was looking yeah. at getting a k bit or some type of like drill bit auger yeah. anyway and i'm checking yep. it out and he's and it's like 185 for the eight inch composite and he's like hey if anyway you can get this we're doing a sale like the owner just doesn't want to carry him anymore so you can do this 200 bucks gets the whole thing battery powerhead charger and i'm like well it wasn't really in the market but how do you say no yeah. to that deal so i bought that and that's what kind of yeah. spurred my ice fishing and then like you said that first cold front i was out you know, I was checking daily and it, you know, seven on shore, five, six out in that, in some of these little lakes by my house. And yeah. so I remember hitting the ice and it was like raining 40 degrees, water on yep. top of the ice, still five, six inches. But the nice thing was, you know, your holes never froze up. Cause I'm just, I don't have a yeah. house. I'm just fishing. And I'm like, yeah. this is awesome. Like holes aren't freezing up. Like it's super comfortable. I don't need to wear gloves. I can put my hand in the yeah. water, you know? And then Christmas, like the week of Christmas, we just saw everything just obliterate, like three oh, inches yeah. of rain at the farm here. We got three inches of rain and yeah. everything melted. I mean, there's just ponds behind my brother-in-law's house. Like they had Christmas and they were watching the ice just melt away like minute yeah. by minute until it was gone. Malax, we drove by Malax, open water everywhere. And yeah. it took what, two, this two weeks before we got ice again and like this mm -hmm. last cold front we really needed it because then i started doing the math like i was i'm an engineer so i was looking up like there's got to be a formula for how much ice gets made right and so i yeah. google it and it turns out it's like your average your 20 once it once it freezes over it'll add an inch a day for every like 24 hour period that it averages 30 degrees below freezing right yeah and so basically, if you have a zero degree average for 24 hours, you'll put an inch of ice on. And yeah. then I start looking at the weather and you're like highs of 28, lows of 22. And you're like, all right, so we added an eighth of an inch of ice today. <laughs> yep. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Um, but if you ever need an auger, you just let me know. We, we, so at Vexlar, we also build K drills. Oh, really? So like, yep. That's our company. Okay. So it's just, we weren't going to call it the Vexlar ice drill. So we started a new company to build the K drills. And so we build them in-house at Vexlar. Oh, like the K drill, like what everyone calls like a K drill bit or like get a yeah. K drill. And a lot of times now they just refer to it like a Bobcat, like anything with a yeah. skid steer with the bucket or Velcro, like, yeah. but that's okay. That's good to know. That's pretty cool. And so I'm yeah, sure like build them. your K that probably came through your department. If you're working on the R and D side, eventually like, Hey, how do we figure this out? design uh, it kind of so we actually started before i was even at vexlar i've been at vexlar since 2015 okay and that was we started it and the project started i believe in like 2007 
but mm. we had to wait like five, six years to put it on market because none, it was great on a gas power head, but none of the electric drills were there yet. Yeah. And so then Milwaukee finally came out with their first 18 volt brushless drill. And that right there was a huge game changer for us because now we actually had a drill that could power the K drill without blowing up. Yeah. And so we, uh, that really spiked our sales. And then I believe in 2016 is when we first offered it to retailers. Interesting. And we went from building like 2000 units a year to 10,000 units a year. And now I think we're building like 20,000 to 30,000 units a year. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I would, I would like, so I'm happy with my razor. Like I'm, I'm happy that I got an auger and it lets me cut ice. Mm-hmm. But there's, I'm working with the service department, and I don't think it's normal. But it does not cut unless I put a lot of weight down on it. It just doesn't. Are the blades dull? Sometimes they get burrs on the blades, and that can be just from factory. I've looked at so them, like, and they look like they look. I'm like that look good. There's nothing obvious on the blade. They're mm-hmm. tight. They're snug. You know, they're where mm-hmm. they look like they're where they're supposed to be. The only thing I can think of is that auger has like two flanges that stick down on the ends. To like, mm-hmm. and I think people have said like they they're supposed to help it not like hang up right when you break through. Yeah, they're called control tabs, and so what it does is control tabs are so if you do put a lot of weight on it, it doesn't cause the auger to bite more. Oh. Um, yeah, so it, it's a control rate tab essentially of how much ice you can cut, no matter what weight you're putting down on that it. Makes and sense. It helps. Yeah, it does help with breakthrough quite a bit. Otherwise, like there is some augers that don't have them, like the Strikemaster Mora hand auger, which you can put on an electric drill attachment. But the problem is, is there's no control flanges on the bottom. So when it breaks through, it leaves a chunk of ice sometimes at the bottom. That's why most people run the black laser bits from Strikemaster instead of the Moras. Okay. It's a great hand auger, but on a drill, it, it doesn't work very well. Well, I'm, so wondering, I'm wondering if those tabs might just be like out of spec on mine and it's holding the blades too high up that they, they're like it. Like I took a video. It was really hard because you need two hands to run it. But it, mm-hmm. like if I hold it and just let it sit there, it just around and around it goes. It doesn't do anything. Like I have to like push down on it to actually get it to start, and so they're I'm working with service. It sounds like they're like, yeah, that's not normal. We'll take care of it. But I have been like, well, it's cool. But this last weekend, I used other people's augers, and it was like instantly like, oh yeah, mine's definitely not working right. <laughs> yeah, I know a couple guys over at Razor. They should be able to take care of you pretty pretty yeah. easily. They're they've got good service. Yeah, I'm talking to Nick, who I think is. Yeah, Nick Cox. Yeah, started it yeah. maybe. I don't know. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, no, so it's been tough. It's been a tough year. And that's what I wanted to ask you about because like you have obviously you're you're a member of a team. Like you guys got a pretty strong four man squad. Mm-hmm. And you have a, a you're in your fourth season of a I would think yeah. one of the most popular ice fishing series, especially in the upper Midwest. Like anything crappie related, anything Minnesota related, like you're the hometown crew, everyone likes that. Mm-hmm. But you've got, like, typically you guys are doing, like, 10 to 12 episodes you're putting out a year, and when you can't fish, yeah. you know, two or three, two months out of the winter, like, how does that affect what you guys are doing with Crappy Chronicles? And, like, I know you guys have added in a lot of bonus content this year that you're yeah. doing, like, electronics deep dives and lake deep dives. Yeah. Is that in retaliation of, like, we can't get on the ice and we have, like, 
commitments to make content and i mean it's got to put you in a tough spot as the creator yeah no to be honest with you it's just by happenstance so i don't know how we've been this lucky but like last year we had really bad ice in the metro because of all the snow that we got yeah and it was really hard getting around and last year so we always plan out our year the spring before so like everything this year that we had planned out, we planned it out in like March, April, May, mm. because that's when we have to talk to sponsors, make proposals, um, work on designing stuff. I mean, a whole lot of different things that always usually happens in the spring, the previous season. So for last year, the the spring before last year, we all were like, well, we film Metro now for two years. Let's go on some fun trips. We've built up a little bit of a budget where we can afford these trips now, finally. And let's go do some exploring across the country and really mm-hmm. see what else is out there. And so it was just by happenstance that we didn't film Metro and it was almost impossible to film Metro because of the ice conditions with the snow. Yeah. Well, this year, um, we had gotten a lot of requests over the last three years of people wanting us to do really in-depth like breakdowns of lakes and gear and tactics and tackle and whatnot and what we use and do in certain situations. So this spring we were like, well, let's start a new little mini series called expose the ice and really get into that because it's hard for us to do those deep dives in an actual Chronicles video, right? Because we have so much other content that needs to be addressed in those videos that adding this onto it would be, make the videos less like appealing to some people that are just there to watch us catch fish or just there to, to see different bites. So we started out the new series that hyper focuses in on that. So we filmed all these episodes. I believe it was in August or September that we filmed them all. It was before hunting season started because Pink and I like put our foot down. Like you're not doing that during hunting season. Our hunting season already gets cut short because of filming because you can hunt the whole month of December. Yeah. And so my hunting season's already a month cut short. Pretty much from Thanksgiving weekend on, I have no time to hunt anymore because we've got shows, we've got seminars, we've got a whole lot of different things that we have to do. This episode is brought to you by Steelhead Outdoors. What makes a Steelhead Outdoors gun safe stand out, aside from being the only American-made fire-insulated modular gun safe on the market, is the fact that you can customize your safe to be the perfect fit for you. Whether you pick one of the fan-favorite colors inspired by our national parks or one of the nearly 1,000 custom colors they offer, your safe is going to be perfect. You can even get a safe in a rust color where they actually make the metal rust to just the right level and then they seal it so you always have a perfectly rustic looking safe. And that's just on the outside. When it comes to the inside, you can configure it all kinds of different ways by adding panels to the door, using shelves on half to organize ammo, or even adding their motion-activated light kit. I went with their brand new Recon 32 line in the awesome tactical-looking black and white And I currently have my safe set up with lawn guns on half and shelves on the other side so I can store all of my ammo, and I love it. But the best part is it's completely modular. So as your firearm collection grows, you can configure your Steelhead Outdoors safe to match. Check out SteelheadOutdoors.com to build your custom safe. 
and use the code two bucks. That's one word, two bucks to save $150 on your steelhead outdoors safe. So we did it in August. We filmed actually all the episodes in one day at Storm Brothers in okay. the, their upstairs little seminar room. Yeah. And we got all that taken care of. And then um, pretty much we had planned to completely fish the Metro the whole winter. And then we were going to do a couple big trips this winter. We were going to go out West last year. We went East this year. We were going to go West for our big trips, but our hyper focus was going to be on the Metro. Right. And when we saw the ice conditions turning out as there might not be ice for a little bit around here, we kind of had hit scramble mode. So we added two trips on and we actually canceled the Western trips because our focus this year was we need to get back to the Metro and chasing giants. Cause we know what's here. Yeah. Most of our audience loves seeing us in the Metro. And we had a lot of people asking if we're going to be coming back last year. Cause we didn't fish Metro. So right. we, uh, we kind of hit scramble mode a little bit. We threw in that lack of parl trip, which that was just a, a fun weekend getaway just to try to find ice. And we were able to find some, and then we went up to Otter Tail for the next trip because we still didn't have ice around here. And Otter Tail was definitely not planned at all for this year. <laughs> and so that was uh, pretty much a week, a week planning, like a week ahead of time planning to get that trip done. So we had to move a lot of stuff down logistically. For me, I have a little bit of wiggle room with work because it's also promoting our product. So right. there's a little bit of a leeway there, but with pink, he works for the city of Chanhassen. So he doesn't have any wiggle room at all. So he had to figure it out. And he, he wasn't even up there the whole time we were there because right. he couldn't get up to work. So we made that work. And then we got back to the Metro and there was still no ice, but luckily we had gotten enough episodes to bankroll the next week or two and throw in a couple expose the ice videos so we could let the Metro ice build. Right. And thank God for that cold front. Otherwise we'd be, we'd be screwed. I mean, a couple of the lakes we were on this last week and there was some people driving small vehicles out. There was 12, 14 inches of ice on some of the little lakes. Oh, really? I mean, I was out on Minnetonka on Friday and I was on the main lake on the East side chasing some walleyes and we didn't catch anything. The weather was terrible, but the, uh, there was like 13 inches of ice and the, the week prior I drove around the lake just to see what the ice was looking like. And there was no ice. Yeah. So when there's no snow, ice can build really quick if the temps are cold enough. And so we had single digit highs and that, that really kicked things off quite a bit. Yeah. We were at Malax on Saturday and like, it was kind of crazy. Some of the places we were getting like 20 inches of ice. Yeah. And then other places were only hitting like 12. And, and the guy said, like, yeah, anywhere the ice broke, you'll hit gray ice and it's going to be like 20 inches of like crappy ice. Yeah. And anywhere it's clear black, it'll be like 12. And he let, yeah. he picked 4,500 pounds. He's like, I'll let any vehicles 4,500 or less on or like Rangers with dollies on wheel, wheel houses. Yeah. Which I was like, well, that's an interesting. I was like, he must be trying to like not allow full size trucks because I happen to know my pickups like 4,800 pounds. Cause yeah. I, I used to buy like fertilizer from my buddy for our food plots by the truckload. And so he yeah. just, we'd weigh it on a cat scale. And then this guy with the Honda like ridgeline is like, yeah, my truck's 4,500 pounds. And I'm like, 
I'm pretty sure it's not. <laughs> I, I don't. <laughs> I have a I have a like heavy half Ford with a toolbox and a bunch of stuff and like ah you're whatever. Anyway, yeah. so there was a couple people driving around, but man, it's it's scary. I mean, you hear stories like people falling through this last weekend and the lax checking ice and. Oh yeah. Man. Yeah, it, it's freaky. That's why, like, I'm really happy we, we've we got machines because it makes life way easier where I don't have to dump my pickup. <laughs> I'd rather not. Oh, gosh, yeah. And, and so when you said you plan out the entire season and do, like, the, the roll ahead of time, are you planning down to, like, the we're going to hit these lakes this year? Or you're just saying, like, oh. we're going to do, like, a 12-episode season – Maybe we'll do a couple of de- like three destination trips and maybe four local lakes and maybe we'll do like three river episodes. And that's like not you're not like saying we're going to fish, you know, Lake X and then we're going to fish Lake Y and then we're going to fish Lake Z. To a certain point, we do because um, okay. like there's there's certain lakes that set up really good early ice. There's certain lakes that set up really good midwinter where the the success ratio is definitely a lot higher where there's some lakes where they school really well, middle of winter, and it's easier to pick out big fish. Um, the backwaters are usually best early before the oxygen depletion hits them and they get really hard to catch or they die. So there's, there's a lot of science that goes down into what we actually do and when we do it. And, we also a lot of these lakes we have fished i mean there's there's not many metro lakes that have big crappies in them that we haven't fished Mm. so we we have an idea of when those lakes are good and when the best time of year to catch those fish are and because griff and i did this way before the chronicles i mean we've been doing this since we were kids chasing giant crappies around here so we have a good backlog of just information right. that we have attained over years and years of being able, it's like deer hunting. You can pattern fish almost the same way. Right. Like a lake we were just on this last weekend, two years ago to the day we filmed an episode, absolutely whacking them and we whacked them. So there, there's a lot of timing things that go into it. And so we do in the off season, like we have an idea of, like we have like lists of lakes that we know are good early ice that we'll go hit. And then same with like backwaters and just other lakes in general. We, we do have kind of like a itinerary planned out of when we're hitting what, when, but a big thing that comes down to like, it usually is like a week before decision now that we are in the Metro and it's this time of year of where we're going when and that that is the reason why it's a week before is because certain lakes set up really good for certain weather days okay so we look heavily at the barometer and um the clouds so if it's cloudy or sunny that that will fire off a bite even if the barometer is perfect so we'll have like we have a couple lakes like the one we were on this last weekend where the barometer was falling and that's really really good on this lake except there has to be sun and oftentimes with a falling barometer there's not much and so we had like three to four hours where it was sunny and we we caught some freaks it was it was awesome and then the clouds came out they got significantly tougher to catch so there's there's a lot of details that really come down to 
our final decisions of, yep, we're hitting this, like this specific day. Um, and that usually happens the week before because weather models, yeah, when you're within six days, get very accurate. When you're outside of six days, they're usually within a 72 hour period. So I do a lot of storm chasing all summer long. I drive all over the Midwest chasing <laughs> tornadoes and severe thunderstorms. And you should, I should send you a picture of my truck setup. It's pretty insane. I've got, it's almost like a bass boat and where I have dual 12 inch iPads Just next to each all other. All the electronics. <laughs> yeah. So my- I have dual 12 inch iPads with radars um, next to each other. And so we go Iowa, South Dakota, North Dakota, Wisconsin, all over the place chasing. And so, the weather and planning thing, that's usually my deal with the Chronicles is research and one, well, I love catching them too, but research, finding the lakes, figuring out the bites and um, the weather conditions that'll set up perfect for certain lakes. Cause we've got some lakes where theoretically high pressure is really bad and they absolutely chew when it's high pressure or topped out pressure and super sunny out. And mm. so there's a lot of that comes down to just us being on the lakes and recording all that data and knowing when they're biting and why they're biting. So for specific lakes, we, that's usually like the week of, yeah. Um, we have an idea of like the area that we want to be, but for specifics, that's usually like that week we plan that out. Our trips, we just wing it. Yeah. Like that's something that we, we have to fish every weather condition and figure out how to make them bite. So that's the nice thing about the trips is we, we show how to learn on the fly. Right. And then the Metro, we show how to accrue data and really get the wheels turning in your head to figure out the specifics of when to go here and when it's the best. Yeah. It's, it's funny you say that. And I'm, I have to make a shout out to my brother-in-law, Brett. He's going to listen to this. He was, he's like our number one fan. <laughs> he <laughs> used to be a storm chaser like yourself and he has all of the like like my weather app tells me if it's gonna rain and it usually is like hey it's raining and i look outside and it's like oh yeah it's right he's got the stuff where he's looking at like updrafts and downdrafts and pressure and like all that stuff and he used to chase tornadoes down across the midwest and he used to film blizzards and send sell them to sell his clips to like news stations and it yep. just loves it, and, and he loves the I chronicles you too. He sells so. them to Severe Storms Media is probably who he sells them to. Maybe he doesn't do it as much anymore. Now he's a firefighter and he's got a family, and um, so I yep. think he pretty much hung up the storm chasing. But he still loves like meteorology and and tracking oh, yeah. stuff. Like there's been times where he'll text me and be like, "Hey, there's a huge storm coming, and it's gonna be ugly." Like they're under they're under predicting in this one, and so I'll run outside yeah. quick and like move my truck, and then all of a sudden, and just all hell breaks loose. I'm like, thanks. You saved me a deductible. (laughs) Yep. 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 Yeah. But he loves the Chronicles too. So he's going to really get a kick out of learning that you were also a storm chaser. Oh yeah. I absolutely love it. I have my truck set up with it, all the GoPros, everything. And it's, it's awesome. I mean, we, I mean, we chased all over the place. Like we were in Iowa last year actually was a really bad severe weather year in the Midwest. We had, well, good for normal people bad for storm chasers because we didn't really have much to much to chase besides a few hailstorms. but um i mean two years ago we got onto a monster tornado in iowa and it was it was so much fun it's an adrenaline rush i mean and it it can be pretty pretty stinking dangerous and that adrenaline rush i i just crave it i love it 
I'm surprised you're not into like the power sports game, but I was going to say it must be dangerous. And I was going to ask, like, I know Pink does, he's got the book, he's got the cookbook, he's a big Western hunter. He's, yeah. when we had him on the podcast, he talked about doing, um, like, reviving his wild meat. Like, I don't know what he was really meat had in season. mind. Yeah, meat season and doing, yep. doing more outside of fish, basically. And then yeah. I, is Griff a full-time fishing guide, like, year-round? Uh, yeah, he was a full-time fishing guide, um, but now he, he actually is a tiler. Okay. So he works for a company called Tile Fusion, who one of our buddies, Dave Carp owns. Okay. And they do like high-end tiling work. And so Griff does that now as his main job. And then he guides on the side. Like, I'm pretty sure he has a guide trip tomorrow. Okay. So yeah, he, he does, he's not full-time with it anymore, but he does a lot of guide trips in a year. Right. So I was going to ask you, like, what's your off-season gig? Because it's also, like, it's super cool what you guys have built. But it's mm-hmm. really hard to do a 12-month ice fishing show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. like, how do, you keep, how do you keep the, like, the train rolling? And how do you keep the momentum up? Or do you, is, yeah. I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned we got together in August and we did a little bit of stuff. And, and it's gone over really well from what I've seen. So, I'm guessing that'll be something yeah. you try to keep and keep building on. And you talked about, like, coming together and making plans and working with sponsors basically yeah. after ICES in April, May. But there's still like that stretch in the middle where I feel like it would be so easy for like one of you to have a kid in July and the other one gets a new job and all of a sudden the whole, all the wheels fall off the bus, right? Because there's five months where you're not really doing anything for it. Yeah. And that's like a consistency and momentum are like the two biggest things for any entrepreneur effort is like keep Mm -hmm. working at it every day and it's amazing what you'll do in a year. And then all of a sudden you get to ice fishing content. And you can work as hard as you want for six months, but then you're kind of toast for six months. Yeah. So that like off period, well, one, I just got into bow hunting would have been three years ago now. And I'm absolutely obsessed with it. Like if I could choose hunting or ice fishing, I would choose bow hunting any day. Like I absolutely love it. It's all of us whitetail hunters have experienced that feeling of frustration when a deer blows and busts you. There's no faster way to wreck a hunt than when a deer catches your scent, and that's why I've started hunting out of Booner Blinds by Maverick. The ability to keep the windows closed and my scent under control allows me to hunt winds I normally wouldn't due to fear of getting busted. Just this last year, I had a nice 10-pointer walk 40 yards downwind of me, and he never even raised his head to check my scent. Maverick hunting blinds can also help you keep the pressure down on your farm so you can keep sitting that stand when you have a hit lister on a pattern and be ready when he finally steps out. Click the link below and head over to maverickhunting.com and use the code WESTERNROOKIE, that's one word, WESTERNROOKIE, to save 10% on your next blind. It's been a huge addiction for me. So like in the summer, I do like a, a few tack shoots and stuff like that and 3D shoots and I really have just fallen in love with archery. It's like one of my favorite things now. Um, But on the Chronicle side of things, like our off season, we, that's our planning. That's when we're working with companies, figuring out how to make show better. Um, We're also planning all the logistics for the next season. And that's, that takes up a lot of time. Like, where we're going to go, I'm emailing the DNR, figuring out what lakes have winter killed, what lakes mm. um, have surveyed well. Like, there's a ton of, like, off-the-water stuff 
that we do to plan for the next season. So, um, but it is very slow for the Chronicles in the summer. I mean, there's no ice. And so like, well, I used to do a lot of bass tournaments. Um, I don't, I don't do hardly any tournaments anymore now, but uh, cause with me working pretty, cause like for me, I haven't been home pretty much the last seven weekends, maybe even more now. And I'm looking at my schedule and I'm going to be gone the next seven weekends too. So my winters, especially with working at Vexlar are just incredibly busy because I'm at work every single day and then I'm filming either after work or on the weekends. And then our film trips on top of that, then I'm working away from work for Vexlar stuff on the road. And it's, yeah, it's incredibly busy. So like, I love the off season. It's my favorite time it's just like hunters you know like look at the like lee and tiffany or uh the seek one guys or any of those guys i mean they can't hunt you know right from i mean you got turkey season and stuff but turkeys only get you so excited they piss you off too much (laughs) so yeah they uh there's there's a lot of off time and downtime so we just find a way to keep ourselves busy with like the lake research and planning out the following year um, working with companies on either product design or um, product refinements, how to make things better. Um, and then like planning out logistically the next year of where we're going, what we're doing, and then um, what shows and seminars we're going to be doing. And so there, there's a lot that goes into it in the off season, but okay. my off seasons are mostly spent either fun fishing, hanging out with friends that I don't get to hang out with all winter or, um, storm chasing <laughs> storm chasing and shooting bows yeah 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 we just joined a, my wife just got into got re into bow hunting so she um grew up bow hunting a little bit with her dad and then she went to pharmacy and med school and pretty much put it aside for eight years and then this year we bought the farm um it's all hunting land it's 40 acres of hunting land we call it a farm because in, in yeah. my family all of our farms are our hunting land that's yeah. what we call them um yeah. and so she bought a brand new hoyt been shooting it like crazy she said she's gonna shoot the first buck on our farm with her bow sure enough she did she shot a doe before it in the early antlerless but then she shot the first buck with her bow and i was sitting in the tree with her yeah um yeah so she shot two deer off our new farm i'm at zero so she's (laughs) taking a huge lead um and now we're doing 3d archery league at the at full draw just north of our house here i don't know what part of the Ah. cities you're from uh north side south side I'm from Bloomington is where I grew up. I just actually bought a house with my wife would have been three years ago now in New Prague. Oh. So now I'm south of the cities. But you know my cousin Kevin then. He works at Full Draw. That's your cousin? Yeah. I got into a heated debate on fixed blades versus mechanicals for elk with Kevin last week. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good dude. It wasn't actually that heated. He was just like, yeah, this is, you know, I'm all accuracy. And I was like, yeah, hey, I get it. I don't know. I yeah. went I went a little heavier trying to get penetration. But, yeah, no, I love Kevin. He's there every Tuesday when we shoot league. And so, yep. yeah, yep. I just learned his yep. name last so, week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my so that it would be my dad's side of the family. So they all live north of the metro. So his brother, Dan, also is one that got me into hunting. But my Hoyt that I shoot was my first bow I bought from Kevin. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Small world. It yeah. really is a small world. But. But yeah, oh, yeah, no, that's the that was one thing because I've felt that struggle with everything that I'm doing. The two podcasts, social media, I have a beard mm-hmm. oil company, and then I have these aspirations to start YouTube. 
And yeah. it's the momentum and consistency thing. Like when it's high, yeah. it's unbeatable. When it's low, it's like so hard to get back into it and so hard to oh, get yeah. the wheels turning again. And so the other thing I wanted to kind of ask you guys about was kind of more on like the production and storytelling side of it. Cause you guys have, I mean, if anyone hasn't listened or watched crappy Chronicles, I mean, it is a very high class production. I mean, it is all the bells and whistles full on editing. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's not a hack job where you can tell someone went out with a GoPro and hit yeah. stop, hit start and just put them in the, in, you know, sequentially in the next board of it. Right. Yeah. Like you guys have, yeah. you have animations, you have after effects, you have, um, you score the everything. And so how do you guys maintain the storyline? Because there's four people, there's a lot of moving parts. You usually have yeah. somebody coming and taking along with a camera aside from fishing. Um, yeah. They usually have no culinary experience in their life whatsoever, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then you guys also have a way of storytelling where you're all four of you will tell the same story and, and not like the repetitive, but like you all have your portion of the story. Yeah. And then, but how do you keep all that? Like, okay, Bart's going to say this and then Griff's going to say that right afterwards, like finish the sentence or finish the thought. And then pink's going to come in. How do you guys keep all of that straight? I mean, are you literally bringing storyboards and scripts to the, to the, you know, event or do you just kind of wing? Yeah. Yeah. So, Pretty much, um, are you talking about, like, the interviews that we do in each video? Right, yeah. Once the fish start yeah. flying out of the holes, everything kind of, it just goes naturally. Yeah. It starts flowing. But, yeah, when you're doing the yeah. interviews at, like, the cabin, the one that really caught my eye was the Red Lake episode that fired off this season. Um, yeah. And, and how you guys were all, like, talking about the boom and what happened and how we can change that this year. But it wasn't like Griff did the intro, right? Yeah you each took a section of the intro. And for me thinking about like planning this all out, like that's a lot of moving parts and it's going to be, I assume a few days or maybe even a week before you're back or that case, it was a, maybe a long time is that you filmed yeah. that last year, like before you get back into the editing room and be like, okay, what was, what did we do? And, and like, you know what I mean? To get the whole thing to really button yep. up nice. Yeah. So we, so pretty much what normally we do is we uh, we find a day where we're all going to be together. Okay. And then we either stay at the lake late or we go back to one of our houses afterwards. And we have a list of questions. So, like, pretty much Bart makes a list of questions that he knows are going to spark a good response. And he knows out of the four of us, he'll at least get a good response to clip in and use. Oh, okay. And... And so um, he'll ask us all the same set of questions and all of us are going to have different responses to every single one. And then he, he picks and chooses good responses from each of us to throw in and mash up into one little interview clump. Gotcha. Um, and so uh, that's usually how we do that. And that's either just after we filmed episodes or just before we film episodes that we'll do those interviews and all kind of get together. Okay. So it's fresh of mind, but then he's basically saying, if I take this four times, like Matt might really hit it out of the park on this question. And then he might be like, I yep. don't know on the next question. And so then you'll take yeah. Griff's answer instead. And, and together it yeah. just works out that he has a nice, like cohesive interview versus like choppy yes. and everyone's kind of thinking their own thing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Cause right. like it, he, he doesn't want to ask us all different questions. And so he might word the question a little bit differently, but at the end of the day, it's like still the same question. And so he, 
he asks us all those questions and then each one of us give our answers. And so, um, normally it takes like two, I would say like an hour or so, maybe a little bit longer to get all of us done for the questions. And then he'll just, that's, what's great about Bart is his job. He is one, he's the main editor and the main brainchild behind a lot of it, but he also is a really good storyteller. Like that's his, that's his forte is telling the story. So that's, he comes up with the questions and everything because in his head, he already has an idea of what he wants the video to look like. And then he puts it all together. So that's mostly his deal is he's the storyteller. Um, I'm the researcher and the, one of the, the fish catchers Griff is just the fishiest guy out of all of us. And then pink also is a really good fisherman, but he's also a really good cook. Yeah. So each one of us has our own roles that we, we really hyper-focus on and it just makes it work very well together. Yeah. It's just very cohesive. I noticed that like you each have roles, um, Mm -hmm. you know, pink, everyone knows pinks, the food, the food guru. I think, I feel like I've always thought Bart's role was like lead cat herder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that he's that, that's a good way. Of like he's it. just yeah. in charge of like making sure everyone and sometimes he really drops the ball. Like he'll rent you guys a car three hours away from where your plane lands. Well, yeah, and a lot of <laughs> a lot of things that people don't know about that is like we didn't plan on the car thing at all. <laughs> like we we had an idea in our head, but that was that was a little acting on our parts, so we kind of crushed it. Yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah, but uh I mean, you guys um, landed in New in Maine or New York or wherever you landed, and expected like there was going to be a car there for you to drive to the Airbnb. Kinda, yeah. we knew that there wasn't. <laughs> oh, once you yeah, got into we, it, yeah. Well, yeah, we that that was a little bit of acting on our part, but we we have everything very logistically planned out when we do the shows. Okay, so we we know where we knew that we were going to be taking a train. We just didn't know how long we were going to be on that damn train for. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. I loved so, the lobster, by the way. Oh, I know. Larry. I think it was Larry. I thought Larry's it was Larry. Lobster. And then, or Buddy. No, no, no. It was Bobby. Bobby. It was Bobby because of the Bobby R statue right outside the or right outside the grocery store. And then, store. I, and I just rewatched that, and the drunk guy on the. I didn't catch the drunk guy on the train that was giving you like a lot of issues. <laughs> Oh, it was bad. Yeah. It was bad. And I'm sure you tamped it down it. for the episode. Oh, yeah. It was it was really bad. That guy was absolutely hammered. And, I mean, he reeked of booze. He was smoking on the train. like, And he, he had his knees up against my seat. And so anytime, like, I breathed, the seat would move, and he would lose it. <laughs> so it was it was very interesting, to say the least. Yeah, that's 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 a story. So, um, yeah, but yeah, no, I really liked how each one of you guys has a role. I think a lot of people catch on pretty fast that Griff is the crappy whisperer. Um, yeah, and yeah. Um, Griff's also he's been doing it longer than any of us guys have been alive. Really, I mean, Griff's quite a bit older than us, and so we've. I know I've learned more than I can even imagine just from fishing with Griff, but he's got you know, 15 years of this on top of us. So yeah, he's really, I mean, and it's, so, it's impressive to think that those 15 years, like there probably wasn't even like real Vexlars. 
No, yeah, you had Vex. You had Vexes. Back when he started? Yeah. Okay, so there was Vex, but that's simple. Um, But, yeah, like, no forward-facing, no, like, you know. No cameras, no forward-facing. Yeah, hardly any lake maps, like. Right, like real old school. The lake maps were junk. Like, yeah, there wasn't much at all, really, and there, there was hardly any GPSs, and so he really got to learn the nuances from all of it. And so that's why he is so good. I hope when I'm Griff's age, I'm nearly as good as he is at catching him because he's incredible. Watching him do his thing is pretty impressive. And I'm just lucky I get to do it almost every day. Yeah. I've learned a lot from watching the show, which is obviously what you guys are trying to do Mm -hmm. is help share that. But it's like, I've never really fished new lakes, like especially Mm -hmm. ice fishing. It was growing up in lake country. We grew up in Alexandria. Oh yeah, and so we lived on a lake. So I knew how to fish that lake because I lived on it, and I I was there every day. Um, yeah, and that was we didn't fish a lot of the other lakes unless we got a hot tip. Like my dad had some businesses; he'd interact with a lot of people each day, and so sometimes mm-hmm. he'd get a hot tip like, "Oh, hey, there's huge slabs on Reno and 22 feet of water off this point," and so we'd go move yeah. our house over there for two weeks, and we'd catch a few, and then the snow yeah. would come, and Dad would move the house off, and like that was ice fishing to me. Um, yeah. now when we moved here, it's like, I got to look, figure out these lakes. And then I look and I'm like, yeah, it would be super easy with forward facing sonar, but that's expensive mm-hmm. and out of my budget right now anyway. And also I'm yeah. like, am I actually going to learn how to fish or am I just going to like spot and stock? Like when I'm hunting the West, Yeah, you know, I don't really know why that fish is there. I just know he's there. And I, and you know, it's bypassing the step to really learning why is he there? Like you just skip that and yeah. be like, Oh, Hey, there's a fish. Let's go over there. You know, and yeah. so I'm like, I don't know if it would be helpful. Maybe I should just struggle it out for a few years first. Yeah. No, and the, the struggle part is really, it is really beneficial because you get to learn different pieces of structure that fish like at different times of the years. You get to learn fish movements. Right. Um, and pretty much so we apply all that in conjunction with the forward facing. So we'll use all of our knowledge about just how fish set up in certain lakes and then really apply that of, of spots and areas that we're going to check out first Mm. and we'll create our milk run on a lake. And then we use a forward facing of showing us what's actually on that spot once we get to it. Yeah. So it's, it's really good to start out without it because you get to learn fish movements and how they behave and where they locate first, which is super important versus, just showing up to like, oh yeah, I got forward facing and then wandering around aimlessly, not in high percentage areas where you might catch bigger fish than right. what you normally would. So we use it in conjunction with it, but um, it, it is very challenging though, because there's plenty of times where you can see them on the forward facing, but drilling on top of them can't do, they run away like crazy right. or they're just moving too fast that you can't even get in front of them. Like we've had some lakes where we've seen the giants, but we have not been able to get in front of them because they are just moving too fast. So, yeah. And that can come down to like weather patterns. It can come down to simply just a time of year. Like there's a lot of little nuances to it. So we have to stay on top of that when we pick and choose where we go. That makes a lot of sense. And it's, you know, it's funny because I'm talking about, like, really fancy electronics. The electronics mm-hmm. that I have, and you're going to laugh at this, I was probably 14, 15 years old. We're in the back of my dad's truck coming home from church, my, the whole family, me, mom, and dad, coming back from yeah. church. And you, as you can imagine, 
14 year old me was like just not in a good mood like ah, we had to go to church every sunday it was a waste of time we're heading home <laughs> and i'm just sitting i remember i'm sitting in the back seat my head is up against the glass and i'm just staring out aimlessly watching the town go by and i'm like holy shit that was a vexlar <laughs> yeah turn around go take that, that, that down that road there's a vexlar and it's like in a city street you know he's like yeah no it wasn't i'm like yes it was i swear to god there was a vexlar on the side of the road and he's, so he turns around. Sure enough, there's a FL8 Vexlar laying Heck upside yeah. down on the road. The 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 carrier was a little busted up, so we hot glued and duct taped or electrical taped two popsicle sticks to it. And nice. um, and I don't know, I don't even know what version of the FL8 it was, but it still worked. Like I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And so that's and that tough. was you know I'm 29, so that was 15 yeah. years ago. I found this on the side of the road, and it was in tough shape then. That's what I use. Oh, yeah. That's what I still have. Yeah. And every now and then the deucer goes out, like it'll cut off and it won't show anything. So I got to like Jimmy the deucer a little bit and then it turns back on and starts scanning yeah. again. And so I'm running yeah. around with that. And that's like, that's what I'm fishing with. That's all I have. My brother-in-law's got all the fancy stuff. And so when yeah. he comes then it's like a taste of heaven. You know, we're watching. Yeah. It's like, I always joke that we're watching fish on TV. Yeah. Watching his live scope. But oh, yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. The, that's I'm rocking like the OG FL8. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, and we still service them. We still work on them. We have all the parts available for them. And I mean, I was working on two of them today. I was expecting I might need a new transducer soon. It's, it's starting to cut out faster and faster. It's pretty consistent if I don't move. Like once I'm in and it's just, then it's, I think going in and out of the ice, setting it down on the ice, maybe ice builds up on the deucer. I don't know, but everyone out and then it just cuts out. You're probably due for a new one. They're usually like a seven to 10 year life expectancy on the transducers just from use and abuse. So, I mean, if you don't use it, it it'll last way longer than that, but you probably need a new one. Well, it's, I've had it 15 years. I know I haven't replaced the deucer since then. And if, if the guy yeah. before, if he let it fall off the back of his truck, he probably wasn't taking the best care of it either. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, probably I probably not. do need a new one, but but yeah, that's the tech I'm using, and so it's just really cool to see, you know, what you guys are doing and learn from yeah. it, from the fishing side, but also the business side, like the storytelling, the ability to do this, and it's exploded. I mean, I, th- I don't know if it's exploded; it just instantly took off, and then you guys have like maintained high quality momentum ever since, and so yeah. it's really interesting to see that. And and I've always like thought about like, does the four man team is that the recipe that, that really makes it stand out? Like, could you do something like this with whatever demographic, you know, instead of crappy chronicles, maybe it's like the deer diaries, like your, yeah. and your archery thing. Like, could you do it by yourself though? That's the, the question. Cause a lot, I think a lot of people out yeah. there have this inspiration and they, this motivation to do it, but they're like, man, yeah. I don't have three buddies that share like my level of passion for this, that I could do a four man team with like, you know, how do I do yeah. this by myself? And so that's kind of what it, I've been thinking about. Yeah, it, 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 it really comes down to what your goals are. So, like, for us, the four-man team really works out very well. It's very cohesive with putting on the show and breaking down lakes, dissecting lakes, and we all bring something a little bit different to it. Um, I think it really comes down to, A, the story that you're trying to tell, and, B, what you're just simply trying to do. Like, there's a lot of guys that are one man wrecking machines like Tom Bowley and Soby that do their own thing with themselves. They film with buddies every once in a while, but they're pretty much their own team yeah. and it works very well for them and what they do. 
um, for us and what we do, it makes it way easier having multiple guys there. Um, and it makes the story better because there, there's some bites that we have been on where it's just two of us filming and we're sitting here like, I mean, even this last weekend, we had split up a little bit and Pink and Griff went to one lake and Bart and I went to another and we're, Bart and I were smashing them and we're like calling them, trying to get them to come back over to where we were because it was hard to stay on top of them and to film a good show when it's just two guys. Right. And it makes it easier because we can film a good show when it's two guys, but at least the two other guys are still fishing able to catch fish and that's why we have hired two camera guys now because when it was just bart doing it he can only be in so many places at once right where if we have bart and two camera guys with or even at least one camera guy with it makes things significantly easier so it really comes down to like what you're simply just trying to do because like there's some things where having one guy doing everything works really well for his story right. but for our story it has simply just become our story so it works very good with the four of us because we've kind of built up that storyline to it right and it works out really well and so i think it's just magical the energy like when four people are together and you're hitting them there's a lot more yeah. energy than if there's one person and especially if it's like oh, yeah. not a good day of fish and you're just staring at this one dude the whole time. I mean like oh, Jay yeah. Siemens is probably a very prominent fishing um, content creator that typically fishes oh, yeah. alone. Right. And yeah. so he's found a way. So there's a niche there, but yeah, it's yeah. definitely, it's an interesting dynamic that you've built. And yeah. I think it's kind of part of the brand, like part of the, the energy yeah. of crap chronicles is there's, you know, four people and there's, kind of these unique lanes that you guys have um yeah that i think is really well the other thing is like there's not much there's not many groups of guys that do it so i think that's that could be a big reason why it's done well is um we're like the only group that is doing what we're doing you have like mitchell soby tom bully clayton schick those guys but they're all individuals doing their own thing so it, logistically it does make it significantly harder scheduling everything, but we have just gotten to a point now where we just block out things and we know that we're going to be filming. We're not sure where, but these are the days that we're filming and we all just block it out in our calendars. We say vacation, we do all that sorts of stuff. And so the group dynamic does, it does make things a little bit more difficult because now you have significantly more moving entities and getting everything to align yeah. doesn't work out nearly as well as it does being an individual filming, but it brings a new aspect that no one else is really doing, I think. So, I mean, you get, there's like some Bassmaster and MLF guys that do the group thing where they all stay together and they have the GoPros and it goes on one person's channel or multiple channels, but guys use each other's clips and stuff. And so there is that aspect to it, but we're pretty much the only ones that are doing the group thing, ice fishing. I don't know of many others that are. Right. It's, it's usually not. And that's what I think makes it kind of unique as well. Um, One thing that I wanted to ask you, and I've been trying to figure out the right way to word it. um, But I get, I get asked a lot about like the details and the numbers and I hate Mm -hmm. asking people that it's like you know no one likes to to ask that so if you could like 
find a way to like kind of do some mental math and do like a rate a rate or a ratio and not be like hey we have this many views so we get this when we talk to a sponsor but like Mm -hmm. when someone has a channel and they've managed to do it they've managed to pull it off they've managed to build it they're interesting they can tell a story they've got that figured out and now they want to start working with the brands they love um like you guys obviously work with i think they're almost all minnesota brands the breweries in wisconsin though right Yep, and Dakota Lithium is from North Dakota. Yeah, but local, Midwest, local. They're known to be local companies. You probably have been using them way longer than Chronicles has been alive. And um, and so it's like we know we want to work with these companies, but how do we approach it? Like, you know, what should we expect in a in a negotiation or an agreement partnership? Um, Yeah, and because I've gone through this in a couple different ways. I've done product swaps. I've done affiliates and I've done um, like a retainer like I've done all three of them and so like what does like what works well for you and like if you could say like when a video hits like forever like a hundred thousand we get this many views like what does that mean when you go to that sponsor negotiation or that meeting with a potential partner yeah so Bart handles I would say most of the negotiations because technically it's Bart's business. Okay. So Bartuzic Media Management is the producer of the show. So that's Bart's company. That's so right. he's also a freelance videographer and everything. So everything is just gone and channeled through his. So he does a lot of the negotiations on uh, contract work and that stuff. But all of us besides Pink had built up a pretty good relationship with all these companies just from um we had filmed team yukon outdoors which was way before the chronicles with a bunch of buddies um but it was bart and i and griff was in some of the videos but brent lopez started the 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 group Mm -hmm. and so we had started doing some film work with that that's actually what started soby in filming soby was the camera guy for it and then he went to college and got hired by alex perrick so we we are all pretty in the ice fishing industry already and we were all really good friends and so we kind of all looked at each other and bart had just lost his job i believe it was right before covid hit and he was pretty much not sure what he was going to do um and he decided that he was going to start his own media company and that's what really launched the chronicles was his or the Chronicles really launched his media company and he had always been really good at editing and videography. So he, uh, that, that pretty much started it, but with all of us, like me, Griffin, Bart, we had all built relationships. I mean, me working at Vexlar, but with clam and all these other companies that, that work together. So we, we already had good working relationships with them, whether it was being on pro staff or whatever it might be. And so when we first came through with it, our budget was very small. The dollar amounts and the sponsorship stuff was pennies on the dollar compared to what it is now. And so when we had first launched it, um, it went really, really well. And we realized that we might be able to really move the needle for some of these companies that we're working with and maybe they'll see benefits from it and the first year was small and we only filmed like nine episodes and we did it in like five weekends and it just 
happened to work out really well. Well, you also caught a few and, giants that first season. <laughs> yeah, we did catch a couple big ones. And so it was, it was really cool. And then second season, season two was really the deal breaker for us. That's mm-hmm. where, cause we were looking at the end of season two and we're like, I'm not sure if we're going to keep doing this or anything. And then we, um, we met with a bunch of the sponsors and we kind of threw them a high amount and some of them bid on it. And we were like, well, maybe we can actually do this. And there's something here. And we started really realizing that we were helping these companies sell product. And now it's blown up into we're at season four now and we're helping companies design stuff. We're, um, we're really helping them sell product that they might not have sold before. And so it, it really has grown into a really good working relationship with all these companies that not only do we believe in, but that we really want to help grow. Yeah. And so if we help them grow, they help us grow. And so it was, it really was a, uh, a very good working relationship that really with all these companies that really kicked us off to where we're at right now. Okay. So yeah, it, a lot of, a lot of all this is just by happenstance where we just happened to be already with some of these companies and they were like, yeah, it's a cool idea. Let's see where it goes and see how it grows. And it's just continued to, it's like a, it's like, it's going to end at some point. I know it will, but we're just riding the wave right now. Yeah. And so we're, we're trying to keep that wave going and everyone, the wave always comes to an end for everyone. And I know it'll happen eventually, but we're just trying to keep it going as long as possible. Well, it doesn't necessarily have to end. Like you said, you were doing Team Yukon Outdoors, and back when you were yeah. doing that, you're probably like, "Man, this is amazing. This will never end. This yeah. is this is what I'm gonna do there'll, for life." There'll always be something else. Yeah, for sure. somebody might move to a different state, get a different job. You know, things will yeah. change. But it sounds like just consistently working towards the industry, being in the industry, being in the right place, at the right time, meeting people—that's yeah. helped. And then, like, I would assume, like the Chronicle series rods, for example. You have four yeah. different series rods, four yeah. different applications. Like I would imagine that's kind of like a, that's kind of a, um, like a cut of sales. Like when the rods yeah. get sold, like that's the relate. They'll build them, they'll market them. You get a cut. Like you're, you know, that's the relationship. There is most yeah. of the sponsorships like kind of structured that way, where it's like a commission based agreement. Or do you have some that are just that flat out be- retainers? That would be mo- that would pretty much be the only one okay. that is like that. The rest of it is paid contracts for the show. And so you're saying so, we can do like season three did X amount of views. So when you start talking about season four, you kind of like use that as a starting spot. We yeah. did this many episodes. We did, I don't know, throw out a, a number. Maybe a channel does yeah. like a million views a season, which isn't yeah. out of the ballpark for a lot of channels that are established. And yeah. so if you did a million views a season, like, are you going to them? And like, how would, like, what is a CPM or like, what are some of the, if you have the numbers, if Bart handles it, that's fine too. Bart but, handles most of the the hard numbers, but we look at like three big things. One followers on not only YouTube, but I have that TikTok, And then I've got, we've, we all have our own Instagrams and everything. Right. Um, in our Facebook pages. And we do that strategically because if we post on, like if we had a group crappy Chronicles page, 
we can't reach nearly as many people as if we were all posting on our own pages because we all have different people that follow us right for different reasons so we we keep it separated like that so we have all of our social medias we also um structure it to where we have um like when we're pitching stuff to companies it'll be like uh we look at view duration followers and um what's the other one that we look at just straight up views so the view duration is probably the most important one i would say that not a lot of people look at that's your engagement because like it's your engagement how how long are people actually watching and retaining for okay that's that's a big one that a lot of people overlook because if you have you know if you have a a video that has a hundred thousand views it might technically not do as well sales wise for companies as a video with 20,000 views, but it has double the view duration. Right. And, or yeah, like you guys, I think drive a super high engagement with the brand because Mm -hmm. it's very local. It's very relevant. Um, it's something that like, like for example, if you guys had a show that was all about how to catch six pound crappies in private ponds in Alabama, yeah. Like no one's like, oh, okay, it's cool. I saw a six pound crappie on TV, but I can't do that. There's nothing I yeah. could do today. Like I could buy all the Tika flashes and pinhead pros I want. I'm never going to do that because I don't have the yeah. private pond to start with. But yeah. when you're saying that, like this is 60 miles within the metro, like one episode, I yeah. saw like there's apartment buildings behind you. Um, yeah. And like, yeah. it's like anyone can do this. Everyone's got the tools. Like you don't need a $50,000 yeah. bass boat. You can start with a hand auger. And you could catch yeah. some fish. And so you have like probably a higher engagement than a lot of channels really do when you really look at it. Like you have more influence yeah. on purchasing power. And yep. it's like it's close by. The brands are close by. Like when you do something at Thorn, people can drive there today and yeah. shop there. Like or, you know what I mean? Like or see yeah. you at Thorn when you're doing seminars. So I think that definitely helps too, where like yeah. it'd be better you to have ten thousand eager very... followers than a million like people that really don't even yeah. know your last name they just know you by like bart or yeah. pink or Walter. like you, you yeah. know what i mean yeah and so we we really like to one be very accessible to everyone so like we try to be as engaging as we possibly can like if we have people commenting or people asking us questions shooting us messages we try to be as engaging as possible yeah and, and so they really like a lot of sponsors really like that and we we don't use stuff that we don't believe in, which is another big thing, but right. we, we really hold true to that 60 miles because, and a lot of people will try to say, Oh, you guys aren't within 60 miles. No, we're with like, we have a couple lakes we fish that are like 59.8, but like we really hold completely true to it because when you say we're so, with it, when we're like, when you go to Otter Tail or you're at red or when you are up, in the gold yeah triangle, we'll say like, we're on a trip yeah we're on a trip yeah. but when you're like we're yeah. fit we're back in the metro like you're saying like you could wake up at 8 a.m and be fishing at 9 a.m no matter like where you live in the metro like yeah. if you lived in minneapolis yeah. you could be where we are in an hour yeah yeah hour to hour and a half depending on where you're going and but traffic. it's with yeah yeah <laughs> but at it's so our role is as the crow flies yeah so um well how else would you do like let's be a little bit realistic here haters like how else would you do it (laughs) yeah yeah so we we do it as the crows flies 60 miles from bart has a pin that he dropped four years ago in minneapolis and that's the 
the distance marker that we do to measure out the circle. And it's when we, we have to, we have to do it to a T because we, we can't lie. And right. the, the reason for that is if we're on a lake that is 65 miles from the pen and someone sees us there, all our credibility is out the window. Right. If we're on a private pond and someone sees us on a private pond and posts a picture of us fishing a private pond, all our credibility is just straight out the window and our storyline that we've built up the last four years is gone and demolished. So we hold completely true to absolutely everything that we do. Otherwise, the one time we get caught, right. we're screwed. So we we hold it to a T and it, it does make it super challenging. But um, I think that's the credibility thing is what really helps us keep the sponsors as well. So like when we do something or say we we're going to do something, we do it. So like, that's why everything is a very extensive contract when we're working with sponsors and such. Yeah. So we have, we have all our T's crossed. We have all our I's dotted and we have to follow it to a T. So um, whether it's posting obligations or, um, certain brand talking points, um, X amount of posts for a brand, X amount of videos. Um, there, there's so many things that we have to check off the list and we all have the lists. I mean, it's crazy extensive, the list, but that really helps. So like they're, they're tangible assets that the companies can utilize for their own marketing tools Right. that, really help them so not only do they get to slap their name on with a show but they know that they're getting this big list of tangible assets that are from four different people throughout the whole entire season not just all the photos not just all the videos um all the short little clips that we film for them but it's a huge list of product promotion and talking points that they can utilize as well yeah and I've used that same mentality because, like, the, sh- the two podcasts we have, um, this one's kind of small. I started it, and obviously it's more niche down into, like, entrepreneurship. The other one is just a Western hunting podcast. And so that yeah. one is the breadwinner of the three yeah. efforts I have right now. And it's mm-hmm. it's crazy how you said because the first two spots – so I worked with Steelhead Outdoors. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're over in Shockby, mm-hmm. not too far away from you. They're a modular yeah. gun safe company. Oh, nice. So you can – like I disassembled my gun safe, moved it into my basement, carried each panel by myself and assembled it. And it's still fire insulated, like two inch or three inch thick walls, 650 pounds assembled, but you can move it by yourself. And I've moved like three or four times now as an adult. The last time I moved, I had to get a rugby buddy to help me get my like huge gun safe out of my house with the stairs. And I was sweating bullets. And so, um, but we had this agreement. We sent numbers. We did a lot of emails and talked to him on multiple shows, had him on a podcast. Yeah. When it came time to do the deal, like he gave me an invoice. I gave him some, you know, cash. We, we came, we struck this little deal. Um, but they basically did a product swap. So I sold my old, I said, Hey, I'll sell my old gun safe. Cause I want yours. And I'll just, yeah. I'll give you that. You give me the balance as a, as a deal. Cause that's kind of how the numbers played out anyway. Yeah. And they're just loaded up in the truck and away we went. And we've been obviously working together ever since, but there's no paperwork. Yeah. Did the same thing with uh, Maverick, a, a blind company, like a panel blind. Oh, yeah. And uh, 
I worked with the, the, the rep from Maverick. She's super cool to work with. Go back and forth, talk numbers, talk plan, strategy. Show up. They put a bunch of blinds in the back of my truck. They show me around the shop. Had a cool time. I, asked, I mean, talked for two, three hours. Left. Oh, no yeah. paperwork. Right? Yeah. And so I'm like, this is strange. Yeah. Like, obviously, I have all these episodes out. People know what I do, and I'm not, like, just like, oh, hey, yeah. I have a podcast. Give me stuff. Right? Yeah. Well, then I got Go Hunt on the phone, and we started talking because they're a perfect partner for the western because it's all about midwesterners trying to learn how to hunt the west and that's go hunts bread yeah. and butter right there that oh, contract yeah. was 18 pages so i finally oh, yeah. had to i finally had to do like you said like it's you know the bonus series is going to be this many episodes the full series is going to be this many episodes title sponsor we're going to have at least this many episodes with a go hunt person as a guest you know yep. blah 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 like you said did assets and then i've always offered like i am no bart with a camera but I do well, and I try hard, yeah. and I'm, I'm always learning. And I've got a little portfolio put together, and I always offer that as, like, free resources. Like, I'm no, I don't feel like I'm good enough to charge for my camera yet. But mm-hmm. So I base everything off a podcast, which for you would be like, I base everything off the YouTube views, but I also will yeah. do these for you in, yeah. like, goodwill. Like, I'll take yep. all these pictures. I'll do these shoots. I shot a instruction video. took two full days of filming on how to set up a six-panel blind. And oh, yeah. edited it all. Like, it was, my wife was about ready to be done. <laughs> and oh, yeah. it was the week before gun season by the time we got the deal closed. Oh, yeah. And so we're rushing to get this thing out in time. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, no, I, like the digital assets, I think if you're good enough to charge with the camera, that really helps. If you're not, it's still things that can help influence like a decision yeah. or a deal to come through. Like, you need the, you need something where they can like, I've always thought of it like, cause I am in corporate America. I'm an engineer for a big company. So I know how mm-hmm. decisions are made at, in a, in a way in certain places, but yeah. like, they need something on paper that says, this is why we did it. Right. They had yep. this many views. This was the rate per view. We're going to pay. Here's the final yeah. price. But then at the end of the day, there's also these other things that are hard to put value on, but they do bring yeah. value and the, that can help make a deal. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what we do. We have it all written out and in our proposals for each year and the proposals are very extensive and that's what initiates the con the negotiations essentially yeah i don't do i should do more proposals i usually end up finding out about a company or already knowing a company i want to work with and then eventually getting a con like i'm very patient i waited Mm -hmm. over a year for the go hunt deal because i was waiting until i had the right person on a podcast, built a relationship with them, then asked for a connection to be made and, and waited to have the right moment versus like knocking on the door with a big whiteboard (laughs) and a slide deck, but it probably wouldn't hurt to do it that way either. The proposals are really good. And that's one thing Bart is incredibly talented at are the proposals. He does an, it's just an exceptionally good job with the proposals. And so if you ever need help on proposals, he is the guy. I mean, there's pretty much every single company that we have worked with has told me how good the proposals were that Bart has done. Yeah. So he is very, very good at that. And he, that's kind of like an unknown talent that he has is he is very good at proposals, but the proposal is only as good as the product following behind right. it. So that's where we really have to make sure we nail everything perfectly and catching fish on top of that doesn't make things easy at all so it it really is 
it's a challenge, but it, it has turned into a, a, a big business and it's to a point now where like it's, it's on our minds constantly, no matter what time of the year it is of how we can make the show better and how we can, you know, provide a better relation to our sponsors. Yeah. So it, it is very difficult, but that's why we do spend a lot of time in the off season, you know, just figuring out all the logistics. Yeah. One, one of the last things I wanted to ask you, um, cause I could see this being, like a hot button topic or I could see it being um, like a breeze, but like anytime yeah. you're working as a team and yeah. there's money involved, there's yeah. spouses and kids involved, there's trips involved. Oh, like yeah. How do you guys kind of set boundaries, set up the, like if the company does X, like here's how it's going to be divvied out. Like, you know, yeah. you mentioned earlier, it's Bart's company. So like, how yeah. does it work? Like, cause you all contribute. You, like you said, we each have our yeah. role. We all contribute. Like we all help build the success of this thing. So how does everything kind of get allocated? And like, how do yeah. you like, you've overcome like when the fish aren't Bart and intentions are high working as yeah. a team, like what does it take for anyone out there that wants to build like a four man channel and go do the next whitetail thing or the next elk yeah. thing? Cause there's a lot of, so in the elk hunting, there are a few groups out there doing kind of similar things. Oh like, yeah, you got born and raised, you born and raised, hush, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so, like, how does that give a little insight? Maybe just to wrap up the episode of what it's like being a member of a team. Like, things happen. Like, it's a passion industry. Oh, yeah. Like, passions fly oh, yeah. high. Like, good and bad. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we have a checks and balances set up where we always keep each other in check. And if someone's, you know, either their ego's getting too big or someone's just being an asshole. We, we always keep each other in check and we're always very open and everything is the, the biggest thing I would say that is what's been a benefit to us is we're all really good friends and we have a level of trust with each other where we're very open when we talk to each other about anything. So, uh, we keep that very fluid, but, um, like how the money breaks down, it, it pretty much is like one Bart does get paid the most, but that's because he also is sitting behind a computer for 20 to 30 hours to edit a video. So he hardly sleeps at all. Right. The couple days before a video gets posted. Um, or there's like me and Griff where um, we have so many days a week that we have to go scout and pre-fish and figure out some of these lakes and figure out are the fish that we want to chase in a specific lake, are they setting up for us enough to film? Um, so there, there's a lot of little ways that it, the money does break down. Um, the biggest thing I would probably say though, is that we just all have a very good relationship where we keep each other in check and we're very open when we talk to each other. So, um, before, before the season starts, we always get together, probably usually at Giesenberg Brewery and we all sit down and we go over all the numbers from sponsorship dollars to dates and trips, um, to, uh, just availability of our schedules and how we can figure out how to film the show the, the next year. So, right. The I would probably say the biggest things would be planning 
um, open communication and uh, keeping each other's egos in check, making sure that you're all on the same page is the best thing that you can possibly do. And it sounds like you're the theme I'm catching. Basically it sounds like the overall theme I'm really hearing is like, we pre-plan we like, we plan, we don't react. Like, yeah, we know well, what we're we, doing. There's and, been times we well, do react though. Well, you like, have to, with, especially more, the when, reaction is more so on the fishing aspect of it. Right. But we know like this year we're targeting the Metro and everyone's like, yeah, yeah. on, on board with that. And so yep. like, you know, one of you's not like, Hey, I want to go back to Maine. And you're like, well, I want to go to devils. And well, I thought we were staying in the Metro. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we know yeah. what the no, plan we is, all have that. but yeah. we know what the plan is. We know going into the season, what we kind of have the numbers for the season and not like, yeah. you know, the flip side could be like me and a buddy start a YouTube channel. It blows up. We get like a check from, you know, 2000 bucks from YouTube. And yeah. I'm like, great, let's reinvest this in the company. And he's like, I wanted to buy a snowmobile. And yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> well, okay. Now what, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, we, we do keep it very, um, like, like for instance, this year we knew like this year, was going to be a really big year for us. We're entering into year four and we do need to go back to the Metro because we spent last year traveling. And we also looked at it as well this year, since it is going to be a big deal and we're going to really have to pump the ice stuff because ice conditions have been so crappy that sales have been down for everyone. Oh yeah. So we, uh, we were looking at it as like, we need to up our camera gear. So we allocated like five, six grand into purchasing new cameras and lenses. Like, so for us, it is very business oriented where our first care is not, we, we can't be selfish about anything. Right. So we, we care about the brand first. So if that means we, we get less money each, but it benefits the brand and the growth of the brand, we all are on the same page of, yes, we do that. And, um, we have a vote system pretty much. And so it always has to be unanimous. And if it's not unanimous, you figure out a way to make it unanimous with either a give and take situation. Um, as for like the traveling and the trips, it's gotten to a point now where it's just places that we want to go that we've always wanted to go. And we just figure out how to logistically make it work and fit in with the storyline yeah. and just do cool things that we've always <laughs> wanted to do. Cause now we're at the point where um, we're established enough and we have the sponsor dollars enough now where we can go to really cool places and do things that we've always wanted to go to um, and fish destination places that are wildly like that. I never thought I was going to fish. Like I didn't think I was going to go crappie fish in Maine. And, and so like there, we always like, we always get together that, that previous year and just be like, what do we want to do? And we just figure out a way to make it work. And I think the big thing is, is just, if you are going to do a group thing, you just got to get four guys that have a like mind that want to do the same things that, that you want to do. And like, for me, I just want to go chase big fish with my buddies. And I think realistically, that's simply what the Chronicles is, is four guys that are all buddies that just want to chase big fish and big crappies to be specific. And for us, it doesn't matter where we go. As long as we're doing it, we're having fun and, making the show work yeah it, it does sound like a lot of fun 
be like I'm always a little bit jealous of like I wish I was on that team. Like I wish I was the camera guy that's never had mm-hmm. you know spice in my life, and I get to test <laughs> on. Like wow, that actually really good. And then yeah. you, like, the one that got me the most, well, I think his name was Jonathan. Um, but it was when you guys were in the Golden Triangle. Your cameraman, um, Luke. Luke. That was Luke. Okay, Luke. Yeah. And yep. uh, he's tasting this. He's like. That's really spicy. And in the background, you can see Griff just pounding this, that same sauce he's talking about. And then he looks up. He's like, I don't know. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. like, looks like that is way too hot for me. And then there's just Griff just pouring out the whole bottle. Oh, yeah. So, and the, the best part about it is you'll look at Griff like 10 minutes after he's eaten it and he is profusely sweating and he looks absolutely miserable, but he loves it. Yeah. That was in so, the, that was in the, uh, Otter, no, was it Lack of Parlor episode or the, you guys went to that bar and you had a bunch of different food and you were like, Griff was sweating and then you FaceTime Pink to show him like what happened. Yeah, that we were up in Otter Tail for that. That was oh, that was Otter Tail. Yep, that was at the Rusty Nail. That was uh, <laughs> that was a fun one. Just sweating to death. No, I had a, I came up with a pitch, thirty seconds ago, so I did not mm-hmm. plan as much as Bart. But it kind of, I asked the question, I was asking myself, like, you know, you guys are definitely dedicated to copies. You have a couple other things you catch every now and then. Mm-hmm. But I was like, well, we could start a sister series. Mm-hmm. Probably not as high as production, so don't expect a lot out of me. But instead of chasing <laughs> giant sunfish, it'll be me and my brother-in-law, and we'll, fi- we'll have to find two more buddies, or maybe my father-in-law, and we'll just go chase giant sunfish. Yeah, the bluegill barnacles. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. If You, you must have talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's... There's a couple of our buddies that always joke with us because a lot of our we have we have a pretty big mutual friend group of people that all of us are really close with and our friend group is is pretty tight and especially for me and Bart because we didn't grow up together but we kind of grew up together because we we've like known each other since high school and so like the last 15 years we've all hung out in the same friends group and so a lot of our buddies always give us shit because they never see us all winter and so they 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 call us the bluegill barnacles so it's (laughs) kind of a running joke (laughs) that would be the perfect name for it though um yeah yeah the bluegill barnacles because it would also play on the fact that like it would be i'm like not i don't know I like to do like the self-deprecating humor to cover the fact that I'm really yeah. not that great at anything. <laughs> so, like I'm good at finding elk, not super yeah. great at killing them with a bow, but I'll find them. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah, the barnacle thing would be like, we're just a bunch of goofs out here having fun and catching giant sunfish, which isn't easy Yeah. either. No, it, it's <laughs> so actually my, for ice fishing, my favorite thing in the world is chasing giant bluegills. And so before the Chronicles, like I, I would chase giant crappies, like fishing around the Metro and stuff. Cause we have huge ones, but, uh, before the Chronicles, like every chance I got, I was driving to either South Dakota, um, Western Minnesota, Southern Minnesota, the Northern Minnesota, even to Iowa chasing giant bluegills. Like that was my favorite thing in the entire world to do that before the chronicles started so we all kind of have our our true little passions to like bart's is bass fishing like and mine was too for the longest time until i really figured out hunting and how much fun that is and shooting the bow and shooting now i'm i'm buying a bunch of guns and i I absolutely love hunting now so i uh yeah the, the bluegill thing i love doing but for the future we might be mixing in some new species yeah so 
I don't know if we'll do it this year, but hopefully next year and the year, like this year, all of our plans got completely turned around because like we were going to do the Metro in, um, December and then the first half of January. And then we were going to go out West the last half of January into February. And then we were going to be done while we had to cancel that completely flip flop it and do Northern Minnesota or Northwestern Minnesota, the first trip, and then spend the whole rest of the winter in the Metro. So we, uh, we completely had to, to change things around quite a bit. And it, it, it sucks because you do get sick of chasing crappies. Um, just it's so repetitive over and over and over again that for us, like I know the viewers love it because crappies are like the number one thing chased on the ice. But for us, when it's your strict focus, the last like three years, you do get to a point where you're like, okay, I want to go mess with some pike or I want to go mess with some big fish. And really get my ass whooped fighting a fish. So it, it really depends on, you know, what it is, but there is, it's gotten to a point now where we do want to mix in some other stuff. Yeah. I think crappies are that fish that it's like, there's a lot of them. They're relatively easier to catch for the average person to go like walleye. Like, I think everyone would be like, yeah, if we're slamming big walleyes all day long, I'm definitely going to go do that. But that's just not the nature of the species. Um, Yeah. You know, sunfish, usually it's hard to find, especially in the metro, it's hard to find keeper-class sunfish at all. Um, yeah. Perch, they're starting to be a good following for, but they're very location-specific, you know, like... Significantly. You know, yeah. to get jumbos. Otherwise, they're just yeah. annoying. And so it's like crappies is kind of that, like, last-man-standing species of, like, what do you want to fish today? Well, I'd, I'd like to catch some fish, and I'd like to keep some fish. So that rules out perch yeah. and sunnies, walleyes and northerns. We're left with crappies. Yeah, exactly. And that's why like what we do, I think is special because we, we do the eater aspect of everything, but we also really focus on the chasing the giant, that 0.001% of fish that we do have around here. And the craziest thing is, is the amount of them that we've seen or lost or broken off, like it's sickening and would make a normal person cry but getting it on camera is the most impossible thing in the world. So that's the one thing that kind of keeps the fire going is we're on year four now and we still haven't gotten an 18 and it is pissing us off. So I was going to ask, I remember in the first episode, I think Bart said like the goal is to catch the biggest crappie ever recorded through the ice. And so is that 18? Is that what the number is for you guys? Yeah, I think the biggest one recorded through the ice was Jason Mitchell's from the Sand Hills in Nebraska. It would have been like four or five years ago. He got one that was like right at 17. And then we actually screwed up season one. Um, I caught one that was probably, we didn't get a good measurement on it because we forgot the bump board. And so we can't call it what it truly was which it was a freak and on the rod we measured it in between like 16 and a half and 17 and a quarter but we didn't get an exact official measurement on it so we can't count that fish was that the river episode where you're fishing like two feet of water in a really small river yeah yeah Yeah. that was the river episode so that that was very unfortunate but um griff's backwater one from two years ago was our biggest so far 
and that was a that 16 one, right 16 yeah yeah that was 16 and a half and the funny thing about that thing was is it had a stub tail so it really <laughs> if it didn't have a stub tail and the tail was oddly small on it it probably would have hit the 17 inch mark which would have been close to being the biggest one on ice recorded but it was uh yeah, it was an absolute freak. I think it was just over three and a half pounds. It was huge. Oh, my god! And, gosh. yeah. What's so, the state record? Minnesota state record? 21 inches. I think it's like five pounds, two ounces or something like that. And that was out of, uh, um, that was out of Red Wing, the Vermilion River backwaters. Oh, geez. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> yeah. That would be but crazy. But the thing is, they're, they're, it sounds like the Minnesota DNR is abolishing all the state records pre-1980 because the legitimacy of them is very high in question. Okay. Because they've changed the state record application process so many times that now it's like you actually have to bring the fish yeah. to an official way station and, and that stuff. So, like it's gotten significantly more legitimate than what it used to be. Yeah. So like it used to be, you just had a scale and you would, if you had two witnesses, that was now the state record. So there's a lot of things you could do to make a fish weigh a lot heavier. (laughs) Yeah. I think the walleye tournaments have found that out recently. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So there, there was a lot of talk about it, and I know it was voted in, and I can't remember if it's getting if the, the all the old state records are getting abolished, but uh, it sounds like for this next year it it will be. So um, I really hope we get one this year, but I really hope it's after that state record gets abolished because we want to have that new state record, which would be pretty awesome. That would be, but. I mean, it's sad for the fish because obviously, if you if you have a picture, like it's hard to fake a twenty one. Like whether it was nineteen or twenty or twenty two, like it was a big yeah. fish. But, but yeah, it yeah. would be fun to like to have this journey kind of conclude with the record fish and be like, we did it. Yeah. And then I feel like everyone's gonna be like, all right, next, next. Like, yeah. I'm done I with graphics. I don't think. I don't. I I've seen like the biggest one that I've actually seen in person um, was on my buddy's wall and it's 20 on the nuts it's a huge fish like you can even go and measure it it's freaking massive and it was like just over four pounds five pounds on a crappie i think that that's not accurate yeah um especially for minnesota holding one of the largest crappies in the country for a state record i don't think that that's exactly accurate but i think four pounds isn't out of the question because griff is Griff's got the most big crappies out of all of us, and he's his is the closest to it. And his is three pounds fourteen ounces. It was stinking massive, eighteen and a quarter. That's Absolutely Griff's huge. record. He just did that's it. Griff's big one. Before yeah, he's he... got like, yeah, he's got twenty two fish over eighteen, I believe. Oh my! He's got. God. Yeah, there was there was one lake that he was fishing way back when that absolutely went off that he caught a majority of them on, but he's got like three other lakes that he's gotten them on or two other lakes that he's gotten them on as well. So is that the biggest difference maker? So like I've been fishing crappies my entire life. I have a 14 and three quarter on the wall from that lake I grew up on. And, Mm -hmm. and we have like regional, like, you know, for us a great day of crappie fishing, we're catching those 12s and 13s. 14s are rare. Is the real Mm -hmm. difference maker. Like when you're like, I want to catch a giant is like, they're not in every lake. You need to go find lakes that have giants. 
That's a huge one. Like, yeah. Like, if you're like, I want to shoot an elk. Okay, well, it's not going to happen in Minnesota. Like, there's a couple elk yeah. in Minnesota, but if you want to kill an elk, go to Colorado or Montana. Yeah. Like, that's the difference yeah. maker that's most people aren't, like, picking up on. Yeah, like, that's number one is you just have to be where giants are. Number two would be figuring out how to make the giants eat and simply locating them. Because, like, there's lakes that we fish that you would swear they're ghosts. Like you go on one day and you don't even see a fish that you think is remotely close to that size. And then you go the next day and you're like, there's one there, there's one there, there's one there. And getting a bait in front of them and actually getting them to bite is next to impossible most of the time. So it's, it's challenging, but you do have to be in a lake that produces them. That's always number one. When you're saying seeing fish, like you're saying like on forward facing sonar, you're seeing a fish and you're like, if that's yeah. a crappie, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. And we've gotten to a point now where you can usually tell what species there are just by the way they're behaving and how they're relating to other fish species. So a lot of times those, the really, really big crappies are very adjacent to smaller ones. They're usually like the guardian of the group almost, mm. or they're eating the little ones. And so they're, you can usually see them. And a lot of times people will be like, oh, that's a big pike patrolling the school. Well, big pike on forward facing look like a rectangle. Right. Big crappies on forward facing look like a fist or a ball. Yeah. So you can usually get a pretty good idea of what, what the fish actually are. And then once you start catching some, you start getting allocation to size up in your head. So, um, so you're not actually you looking at the forward facing or the sonar and being like, that fish goes from two feet out to three and a half feet out. So that has to be an 18 inch crappie. You're just saying like that blob yeah. is twice as big as the last blob I caught. And that was a nine inch crappie. So like this is going to be a them. Oh. Yeah, we measure them on the forward facing. And it's relatively yeah, so. accurate. I mean, obviously, you're, like that's not yeah. going to make it into the record book, but you can be like, yeah, that thing is huge. Like, it's definitely over a foot. Like, I want to catch it and find out. Yeah, yep. So we, we've we got it down now where we can tell if it's like a 10 to 12-inch crappie. We can tell if it's like a 13 to 15-inch crappie, and we can tell if it's over 15. But we've got like those ranges on the size of the targets because we've become so familiar with our units. Yeah. Like from our Vexilar units to our Hummingbird Mega Live units, we've become very familiar on what fish look like size relation wise. How do you do so, it on a Vexilar? Are you just looking at how thick the red band is? Yep. How thick the red band is and how it's behaving adjacent to your lure. A lot of those big ones are very smart and very cautious when they come in. When the bite window's going, they'll annihilate a lure. But when it's not going you could do get a very good idea of how big fish actually are but it, yeah it's about how thick they are on the screen okay i probably yeah, usually so, have mine turned up too high <laughs> yeah it that well that's because you need a new transducer that'll fix <laughs> that'll fix that issue um, it probably wouldn't hurt to just that. get a whole new vex but man farm implements for my tractor are also very expensive <laughs> yeah and that sounds like it's more important too if i had if I had to choose spending money on ice fishing or spending money on hunting, I'd be going the hunting route for sure. <laughs> yeah. Every day, all day, every day. Yeah. No, what I have works. So that's kind of where I like, I hate buying, like putting more money into things that I already have that work just to make it work a little better. Yeah. Like I'm sure you know this more than most, but like 
finding a free FL8 on the side of the road versus the new FLs 26s and 30s is like, there's a really substantial price difference there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah. I'll take the free route all day, any day. So, yeah, no, that's where I'm at. But, uh, but no, it's been super great to have you on the podcast, Matt, and hearing everything that kind of goes into how you, not only how you chase these giants, but how you built the brand yeah. um, around it. And, and just like the whole story is super interesting. I know I said like one more question, a bunch of questions ago, but no, uh, that's fine. I want to give you, you know, good conversation, but I do want to kind of respect your time and let you get on with the rest oh, of your night. Don't worry about it at all. No, I love this stuff. So yeah. yeah. Well, you guys, you have, well, you also have, are you part of the past the barb crew or is that a different team of four? So that's, um, Adam Bartuzic, that's Ryan Pinkala and then Will Stolsky and Cody Honor. Okay. Um, and then, I jump in every once in a while. Right. Um, yeah. And same with Sobe. Sobe's now a part of that too. So we all jump in every once in a while, but that's just a group of our buddies. Again, that's a little bit more extended group of the, the buddies that they started doing that podcast with. Nice. Awesome. So yeah, I jump in every once in a while, but they are starting to try to, they're at the point now from my understanding from talking with Bart on, deciding if they want to make it a business or not. So they're at the point of what the Chronicles were at after year one. Okay. Where yeah. this is fun. We're going to do this. It's helping Bart launch his media career. And Griff and I did it for completely for free. And we were like, yeah, let's try this and see how it goes. And they're at that point now with Pass the Barb on. Are we just going to keep doing this for fun? Or are we going to make this more serious? So they're starting to get to that point, I think. Well, that's super exciting. Um, oh, before we break, I do want to give you a chance to share any news you have for the Chronicles coming up. Yes, I got the dates. Bart texted me the dates Dark. for that. But Okay. Yeah. So we are doing um, – it's a St. Jude fundraiser at Giesenbroi Brewery in New Prague, and it is on – it is on February 24th from 4 to 9 p.m. And we will have probably probably like ten to $15,000 in giveaways. Or not giveaways, but raffle items. Yeah. And uh, I think one of the raffle items is actually it's a really cool. It's a Chronicles trip day. So you get to come out with us. And this is probably the biggest one um, out of all the raffle items. But you get to go out with us. Um, you get a fish with all of us, just as we were like on a film day. And so you'll be guided by me and Griff and Bart will be there, uh, taking photos and videos and it'll be a lot of fun. And Pinkala is going to cook on the ice for us. And so that is one of the raffle items that you could win. Nice. So we're, we're doing it on, yeah, at the brewery that day. And it should be a lot of fun. We did it last year and it went really, really well. So I think that's, that's the next big event that we have going on this year. Um, and, and you I said think that's, that's four to nine on the 24th of February. Yeah. Yep. I believe that is going to be last Saturday in February. I, Saturday. I might've yeah. looked disengaged when you were doing the details, no, no, I was, no. I was writing them down. So I don't forget. So I can be there. <laughs> yeah. 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 That was the 24th, four to 9 PM of February. And it's going to be a lot of fun and all of us will be there and we'll, 
so Giesenbroy makes our Chronicles beer. Yeah, the PB. Is, or, yeah, which is the Break Your PB. Break yeah. your PB. And it's a peanut butter blonde, and it's actually really good. I'm not a huge brewery beer guy. If you, I mean, like, it's pretty much the only brewery beer that I actually love. Besides that, I am a bush like guy through and through. Like, it's, that's, if I'm going to have a beer, that's what I drink. And so this is actually one of the first beers that's like a brewery beer that I've been like, okay, this is actually really good. Like I'll drink this. So we'll have that there. They'll have kegs of it available and or uh, pounders also available of it. And uh, yeah, it'll be a really fun day. We did it last year and it was, it was awesome. It was so much fun. And so this year it should be even better because we have much, much better raffle items than we did last year. We had good ones last year, but we have really good ones this year. Awesome. And so that, that top prize will be the fish with the Chronicles Dane pink cooking on the ice for everyone. I was going to say the top prize is a, a guaranteed coupon for an 18 inch crappie. I wish <laughs> if we catch one that day, I think Bart will lose his shit. <laughs> he would, you would, I mean, obviously you want to see the fish and it helps the channel and everything yeah. you're doing, but you'd, you'd have to feel a little salty that this random person shows up and smokes oh, an 18. I mean, like, after four years of you guys trying. Yeah. Me, personally, I would be super pumped just because I've done a ton of guiding, and so has Griff. And so that's the whole premise of the show is teaching people how to catch big crappies. Right. And, like, our favorite thing in the world is when we get a message from a kid that catches a giant – doing something that he saw us do in a video or using a bait he saw us catching them on or that stuff. So like, that's where I get all my satisfaction from the show. It would suck a little bit not <laughs> having one of us catch it just because we have worked so hard for it, but it would definitely make my day seeing someone catch it. And we're getting to a point now where we just want to see one. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you guys will do it. Um, my brother-in-law, he smoked that big fish that, that Bart showed you. I mean, yeah. everything I, he loves Chronicles. He's, I think he's probably the number one consumer of Tika flashes now. Um, <laughs> I've got a Heck few yeah. of them. I've got a few too. Some pinhead pros, a lot of drop yep. kicks all from watching the show. I mean, really it is yeah. like, it's like a lot of the, what I'm learning about, not just like hitting the spots. I know because I fished my entire life and they're always good for a, you know, a dinner of crappies, but like, yeah. actually looking for big fish and like taking the time. Like I, when I moved up here, I texted Bart and I didn't want to be the guy that's like, Hey, where are the big crappies? But I'm just like, Hey, here's where I live. There's a lot of lakes by me. I've been doing a little research. It seems like they're good, but like, can I really trust the DNR websites and stuff? Like, yeah, is it worth checking these lakes out? And then he's basically just like, yeah, those are some really good lakes up there by you. Like it's definitely worth it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No. And that's the, the cool thing is, is there's, a lot of that right around the metro like yeah. that's why we film here is we've seen the fish we see pictures of them every year of them getting caught and it's all it's that, that that's probably the one reason that actually i do love chasing giant crappies and chasing giant bluegills is it is very similar to the hunting aspect of things where we're we're hunting for that one fish and so um for me on the hunting side of things, I'm nowhere near that point yet. I'm just happy if I shoot a buck in a year. So I'm nowhere near that point yet. I just absolutely love it. But it's taking that mentality that 
that hunting mentality where you're going for a specific animal, like the spot and stock mentality. Yeah. That's what we're applying to the crappie fishing. And so we'll completely look away from 90% of the schools that we see just to go after one specific fish. And we've spent hours on one specific fish trying to make it eat over and over and over and over again until we finally catch it. And so it, we're taking that hunting mentality and just shifting it over to ice fishing. Yeah. No, that's great. That's, I mean, maybe that's why I'm more into it than just your average go plop down a bobber. Cause I love the yeah. hunting and I love spot and stock. I love Western hunting. And like, we've already yeah. started joking about that with my brother in law's live scope of just like, let's go spot and stock. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly how it is. And it's so much fun doing it that way. And it is an absolute right. And there's some bites that we're on that we can't do that. Weed bites. It's exceptionally hard to do that. Um, backwaters. It's almost impossible to use forward facing because you're only in three foot of water. Um, so there, there's a lot of times where we can't do it and we wish we could. And it, it makes things definitely makes things easier but it almost makes things more frustrating because especially when you see the fish and you can't get them to bite yeah it's so frustrating i mean that happened to us multiple times this weekend where we'd have giants come up and completely deny us so it was frustrating yeah no we i i get it um i had a 165 inch buck sitting at 200 yards this year and i was in shotgun zone with a 150 yard shotgun so, oh, no. Yeah. I mean, I, it's the same thing. Like, you try to get them, you try to pull them in, you try to rattle, you try to grunt, yeah. you try to do this, you try to do that. Two hours, had them on film, whole time. I mean, it's a buck that I we've been chasing for two or three years now, looking back on pictures. You know, we had yeah. history with it. We named him. I named him Maverick after the blind. I've spent eight hours building a blind on a platform on our farm. Um, yeah. And then that night he showed up on camera underneath that stand, like literally walked through the legs of the stand. And oh, I mean, all night, all year long cell cams is just frustrating. Like it's frustrating when they, when it doesn't work, when you put all much time into it and they just disappear on you. It's, I get it, man. I've been there. This is oh, uh, yeah. kind of, that's a, beast. that's a blurry video, but that's a tank. Yep. That's the tank. I only got one big one on picture this year and it was stinking monster and got one nocturnal photo of him passing through a spot. Never saw him again. Never saw him on the hoof. I got one photo of this deer and it's a monster. I'll have to send it over to you. It's stinking huge. And are you hunting private land or are you hunting public land in the cities or big mixture of both? <laughs> yeah. Um, my buddy Brooks for Haska, has really taken me under his wing down here and helped me out with the private land stuff. Okay. And kind of taught me the ropes of door knocking and stuff like that. Um, so there is a mixture of it, but last year I shot my first buck on public land and that was right around the new Prague area. Oh, that'd be and super cool. This year I shot a doe on public land as well. Actually the same exact spot on public land too. So I like the public land stuff because I like being able to do whatever I want to do. Yeah. And I'm one of the most impatient people ever, which is why I like whitetail hunting. But that's why I go out West every year. Like last year we did uh, South Dakota antelope. I missed at like 92 yards. So dang close. Almost 
it would have been absolutely perfect. Didn't realize the second axis on my site was all screwed up. And oh, I went back. Oh, yeah. So I made like a mile long stock on a, on a buck that ended up completely disappearing like antelope do because they run 100 miles an hour. Right. And while I was on that stock, I must have <laughs> leaned on my bow too much when I was crawling. Ooh. And I screwed up the second access and I went and shot back at camp and I was shooting like a foot high at 20 yards. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And then finally we got it to be somewhat dialed in under 40, but I ended up having to bring it up to full draw and they were like, yeah, your second access is just screwed up. And so I had to reset the site and everything and retape it. And it was a pain, but this past year we did, private land uh, Nebraska mule deer and that was a that was a ton of fun oh, so man. I got I got a velvet muley which I was super pumped about small little guy actually he was super old had a big Roman nose screwed up rack and he had no teeth left so he wouldn't have made it another year and yeah it, I'm so addicted to hunting out west it's unbelievable so I think this next year my buddy Justin and I and Brooks are going out to Montana, I believe. We haven't nailed down logistics yet, but we're going to try to do a group tag out there. I don't know if they even do that. Oh, yeah. We're, yep. Yeah, where we can all get a tag if we draw. Five is the limit in Montana. I happen to know a lot about Western apps because part of the Go Hunt partnership is we're doing a bonus series of every deadline in the West, like a week before the deadline with the whole breakdown. Perfect. Well, I'm going to be hitting you up. Then. April 1st is the deadline in Montana. Okay. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> so I'm going to be hitting you up then because I'm just getting into the Western hunting and I'm absolutely obsessed with it. Like I'm pretty sure I've watched every born and raised video a hundred times now and same with like all the hunting public videos from out West. Like I am so addicted to it, that style of spot and stock hunting. Cause that's what we do for chasing panfish around here. Yeah. So I am obsessed with it. You I love it. Check out Randy Newberg. He's another good one for you. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's a public land advocate, very informative, like informational and educational as well. Like, and entertaining. Like he's a fun guy to listen to and watch, but like very salt of the earth, great human being. And like, you'll learn, you'll pick up a lot of stuff watching, watching his stuff. Okay. I'll have to, I'll have to watch that. I did just get the go hunt premium membership. So the go Hunt insider. Yes, the insider. You should have used the so, code Western. You could have got fifty dollars of free gear shop credit. That's my well, podcast I, code. Send them an email. Send them a, send them an email and be like, "Hey, I tried to type in the code, but it like I for, it didn't work. Can we add it?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I I'm a part of it now, so I am definitely going to be heavily reliant on that tool. Oh, it's the best tool. Sure. It's the best tool ever. Yeah. You did like yeah, an unintentional product promo for me. <laughs> yeah, that's even better. Because yeah. yeah, I, I when I really got into it and I knew like I want to start hunting out west and everything. I downloaded all the apps. I downloaded Onyx. I downloaded yeah. uh, Go Hunt. There's a third one I think that I've also downloaded. Hunt stands kind of big. Hunting fool. Um, yep. This one was Deercast. Deer, Deercast is good for whitetails. Um, there's an app, uh, Spartan Forge. Um, yep, that was the other one. I had Bill Thompson on this podcast, actually. He's the founder of Spartan Forge. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's um, there's another app. 
oh boy, I shouldn't forget this because I had him on the podcast, but Brendan Labrum started a shed hunting app for the West. Um, oh, that's cool. Scout to hunt. Yeah, it's specifically built for shed hunting. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. But yeah, no. Colorado, Montana, Wyoming. Those are your three core. That's like That'll be the core of your states. Colorado, to build points, you have to do an app, so don't miss out on the application deadline. You can't. Yeah. Montana, Wyoming, you can buy a point all summer long. Um, yeah. So, yeah, those would be the three states to focus in on to start with. Yeah, and I think we're going to do – because the nice thing about Nebraska is it's all over the counter, but it's right. not as much public land. Um, if you want to just bypass that, you can get land trust. Nick DeCastro started that. We just had him on both podcasts, but he has land trust, which is like Airbnb for hunting land. You can book Ooh. private land as little as like a day or two days. Oh, so you could pick multiple places to go from like a you could, you could do multiple different places. You could do one place for as many days as you want. Like, it's just like it gets as short as a day. Sometimes it's like a three day package. There's a lot of them in Nebraska. We specifically talked about that, like the over the counter meal deer options in Nebraska with land trust. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to have to look into that because, yeah, Nebraska was awesome. The sand hills were super cool. But I think this next year we want to get into an area with a little bit more terrain. Okay. For elk so or I'm not, for deer? For mule deer. Okay. I'm not ready for elk yet. I suck at blowing mouth calls. Like, the worst at it. I can't even turkey call. Like, I'm brutal at it. I can run a box and a slate, but I am really <laughs> bad at mouth calls. So, I want to definitely work on that. And I want to get significantly more experience with spot and stock hunting before... I go all in on an elk hunt because yeah. I mean, I don't want to tell you what to do. I hate doing that, but you yeah. probably won't use as much of your spot and stock skill set as you'd think on an elk hunt on an archery elk hunt. Yeah. Cause it's all you do more glassing. No, I mean that to me, that is spot and stock hunting glassing. It's yeah. black timber calling. Um, yeah. You'll, you'll likely be doing it unless you hunt like the breaks or Eastern Montana, but you know, we archery mm-hmm. hunt every year. Um, in our group, we got a group of seven, and yeah, it's typically black timber, bugling, calling, doing setups, having them come into you. Um, yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't say like, oh, I'm not ready yet because of the spot stock thing. Like you can choose yeah. if you want to or not. But the calling thing, I'm definitely not ready with. <laughs> well, come up to the farm, help me whack a couple does, and then we can break out the elk calls in in the shop and. Oh, I'm down. We'll get you. We'll get you squared away. I've been calling yeah. elk for ten years now. I'm not yeah. like according to Jacobson. Like I don't want anyone to think I'm the world's expert. But <laughs> no, I went through the same struggles. I mean, I couldn't blow in to save my life, and I had to figure it out. And now, you know, I can. Yeah. Now I can turkey call with an elk call. Oh wow! That's how That's we signal cool. each other to like be done, or like when I'm whitetail hunting, I'll still have an elk diaphragm in, and if there's like mm-hmm. does out in the plot, I'll just and scare them off oh nice yeah that's a really good idea <laughs> yeah well Get these are things like i take for granted growing up whitetail hunting that people that don't whitetail hunt are like why are you doing a turkey call and it's like because mm-hmm. i don't want the deer to see me climb out of my tree <laughs> yeah so, that's smart yeah yeah like that's what i love about the hunting thing is i'm so new to it that i have so much to learn and i i love being a sponge so learning as much as i possibly can is 
awesome. Like that's why like when Pink Pink came out with me um to go out to the Sandhills. Oh yeah. For mule deer. So the whole time I didn't ask too many questions, I don't think, but the whole time I was watching every single thing that he was doing and why he was doing it. So like after I had tagged out the next day, the whole day I spent glassing and spotting for the boys. And it was really cool because I was able to watch them go in on stocks. And Justin's also a pretty experienced hunter. One of my best buds that came out with it. Yeah. uh, Came out with us. And so I was able to watch those two through the spotter and really figure out what lanes they were going, why they were doing this, why they were doing that. And that was one of the most enjoyable things for me to do was just sitting there watching those two. And you could see the wheels turning because they would stop and talk and then they would, cut a certain direction or um take a certain low path or a high spot and what wouldn't look as good to us would look good to them and it was it was just really cool watching them break things down like that well yeah and since you guys are all in like the metro we should just get together and do a western rookie podcast episode like right when you guys get back or like right before you go and like the excitement's super high, maybe before you go in case the trip doesn't go very well. <laughs> Cause we've had that. Well, yeah. We got big plans to do podcasts on the way out and the way back from out camp and on the way out, we're super excited. And then we get our teeth kicked in for nine days and on the way back. We're like, yeah, yeah we're not doing a podcast, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I do like, like we do it all the time on our fishing trips is we, we all get together afterwards and we figure out, what we could have done better, what went wrong, yeah. why it went wrong, and learning from that because that's the only way you make yourself better. And, I mean, we had all high hopes that going to this property in Nebraska that we were going to shoot 140s. <laughs> and then we come back, I've got a spike buck, Pink and Justin have two does. <laughs> so then it didn't go the way we thought, but at the same time we had so much fun doing it. And it's something that we were really able to learn from of – these deer were taking certain routes because that was the food source. This was the bedding and this was the water and they were running that lane. And we spent a lot of time looking everywhere else when we really should have just been hyper-focused on that one lane. Yeah. So I love the learning aspect of everything in the outdoors. Oh, there's, and there's the nice thing is you can spend your whole lifetime doing it and you'll never, you'll never get it completely. Never get it. But (laughs) unless you're, Corey Jacobson and just kill elk on whim. <laughs> well, I, I know, I know had... he doesn't, but it almost seems like that with how good those guys are. Well, They're you gotta remember, he's been doing it his whole life. I mean, that would be like, hey Griff, why don't you go out and catch a twelve-inch crappie this season? Or like, you have yeah. thirty days to catch a fifteen-inch crappie, and he's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, and he'd go and do it in a day. It's or he might not, but he'll do it. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. and I think that's part of it too. Is like those guys are the same in that regard as you guys are with the crappies. You should do a little yeah. swaparoo. You guys come out here. We'll take you on a week of crappie fishing. Then we'll come out there and you help us kill five bulls. Yeah, I don't think they wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's the uneven trade. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could hope. I mean, but Offer, I, I yeah. know if I was in their position, I'd just, no. <laughs> like, I don't own a fishing rod. Sorry, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not in his vocab. Awesome. No, no, but dude, I, I really appreciate you having the time for this um yeah we went two hours lickety split i think that's what happens when you talk about things you love and uh you know so all the time super excited super excited uh before we break 
where do you want to send people? Where can they find the Chronicles? Where can they find your channels? Yeah. We'll put links to all those places in the show. Um, but for the folks listening that want to follow along for the rest of the season and, and your guys' journeys, let them know where to go. Yeah, so Bart's YouTube channel, you just look up Bart or the Crappie Chronicles on YouTube, and you'll find us. And then uh, all of our socials, um, mine is just M. Waldron Outdoors. And that's my Instagram. I can't even remember what my TikTok one is, but I hardly use it. So I'm really on that one. But uh, yeah, that's the main places you can find us. And we're always, all winter long, we're posting either Expose the Ice videos, which is our information series on breakdowns, or we're posting a Chronicles episode. Awesome. Well, I'm, I know I'll be looking forward to all the new episodes. I think a lot of our followers will be, but we'll put links to the the socials and the YouTube channels in the show notes for anyone that wants to head over and hopefully yeah. by the time this airs, which it's going to air tomorrow. So yeah, <laughs> hopefully there's an 18 inch crappie on the channel. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. It's not looking likely right now, but I hope so. <laughs> well, well, thanks for having me on brother. Yeah. Thanks once again for being here, Matt. And thank you for listening folks.